Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. Bad theology hurts people. That's a saying we use around hope, and it applies to all of us. Because there are things that we believe about God that inform the way we live. I mean, the things that we think, the things that we say, and certainly the things that we do that, at the end of the day, are not true. Now, of course, we're not suggesting by saying this that we should be perfect, right? Because at the end of the day, we worship an infinite God. But that doesn't mean we can't keep growing or improving our understanding of who he is, at least as revealed by the scriptures. On today's episode, we talk with Joe Soares, who, in addition to having the coolest last name ever, is the lead planter of the Exchange Church in Clio, Michigan. I'll be asking Joe about the importance of being thorough in our theology. When we're off track with things in our lives, be it our diets, our relationships, or anything of the sorts, Americans in general are pretty good at buckling down and getting back on track. Well, how does that look with regards to theology, particularly for the church planter? That's what we're going to talk about, so let's turn to Joe now and find out. To start things off, we'd love to hear you just describe the Exchange Church and what makes the Exchange unique and what it's like uh, to pastor in Clio, Michigan. Yeah, the Exchange is unique because we are the only church in town that meets in a gym, and so that's weird. We are also unique because we have by far the youngest congregation in Clio, and that's a blessing because we have seen a lot of um, late teens through mid-20s become believers. Um, but at the same time, uh, that's a really tough barrier for older people to you know, cross over. So that's been, but it's, it's unique. I mean, every, everybody that uh, has, has come to or visited the church that, that goes to other churches in Clywalks and say, whoa, it's so young. Um, and I think it's also unique just the, um, in, in a, very relational way we we put um gospel centered discipleship front and center and and so that's been um just a, a blessing to watch that uh grow uh into the lives of these new believers um so yeah i mean those are those are things that within clio really stands out as far as what it's like pastoring a church in clio man it's um it's not super um easy because um, we are, uh, when I was assessed with Acts 29, even though I, mo- I moved back to my hometown, Cosmo hometown, I was told this is going to be a cross-cultural church plant for you. Um, so it's just, and it has been, it's, I'm, I'm not the typical Clioian person. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's just been different, uh, different types of um, hurdles that my wife and I both in our personalities and the things that we like, we've got to jump over. So we're figuring those out along the way and very much relying on the grace of God to work and rescuing people. Wow. So. Wow. Clioian. That's a slang term. That I just I, made that up. I think someone I'm familiar with. Yeah. Uh, just... When we think of Michigan, I don't think Clio is the first city. That comes to <laughs> Probably mind. not. So for those who have no idea what Clio is yeah. or what it's like, yeah. tell, just describe the context a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Clio um, used to be the northernmost suburb of Flint. Um, and then Buick City shut down, plants started shutting down, Flint contracts, and, and Clio's really become just a, a bedroom community. A lot of people commuting uh, to Detroit 
um, some to Flint, some to Saginaw. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a small town and, um, pretty rural. Uh, you know, we've got one guy at our church that moved there from Chicago and, and he told me, you know, I, I said, there are places that are more rural and he laughed at me. Um, he said, I, maybe there are, but I can't imagine them. Uh, so <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a rural town. It's, um, uh, probably still 96, 98% Caucasian. And, um, a lot of, uh, families that, um, their family of origin was, uh, Scots Irish, uh, from, you know, the, the migration looking for work, um, when people were moving, uh, into the, you know, for, for auto industry work. And so, um, just kind of that culture through the Rust Belt, uh, is very much there in Clio, but, but still in, in spots feels like some of the hills of Kentucky. A little wow. bit, so it's just kind of an unusual, uh, unusual mix between the the town and then kind of getting out into the rural areas. Gotcha. And so I'd like to hear a little bit more about uh, when you knew you were called to be a church planter and what that process was like. Like when did it become apparent to Joe Swords that this is the crazy endeavor that you wanted to take with your life? Yeah. So th- to me, this sounds phenomenally unspiritual. Um, it, it actually came off uh, an extreme failure um, of what we intended to do originally. So my wife and I are living in southern Indiana. Uh, I'm going to Southern Seminary, and we um, moved back to Clio for the purpose of revitalizing my home church. And and that did not work. It did not go well at all. And, and so I had been assessed with Acts 29 to do that. And, um, then we, I mean, it completely failed. So we actually left Clyde, we moved to Lansing. We did a church planning residency at Riverview and just asked the question, what are we going to do? And what it came down to was, um, no church plant that we knew of within the last 10 years. Um, I think there had been seven church plants in 10 years in Clio had made it. And so, um, we just said, if we plant a church in Clio, it's probably going to fail within one to two years. But do we want to just try? Uh, because there was uh, an absence of gospel-centered churches. Uh, we didn't see uh, a real sense of biblical community practicing the one anotherness of the New Testament. Um, and we didn't see a church that was there for the purpose of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to non-believers. There were churches that were connecting with, with non-believers, but they weren't taking the gospel to them. It was more of just uh, sort of, a, I don't know, ambiguous outreach that didn't have the gospel at the center of it. So we said, you know, that's not there. We want to see that. We've been praying for years to see it there. Um, and we'll probably fail, but we can go try it. And so that's really what it was. It was just, we'll go back and um, we knew one couple there that was on board with us. Um, You know, I I have family there, Ashley has family there. But at that point, none of our family uh, was part of it. Um, And so it was Ashley and I, one other couple, we just started in their living room uh, after the initial failure. And so it was just sort of like, oh, well, we'll do this and we'll see if God blesses it. That was, and, and if he doesn't, then we'll move and we'll trust him uh, in, in a second failure. But that was kind of the road that we took. 
And on that road, were there any things uh, that you were doing specifically to prepare for what you thought might be ahead as a church planter? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the church planting residency, I would say, was part of it. <clears throat> I was also, um, because it was small town, I was looking for as many small town planters as I could find in Acts 29. And at that point, I found three. Uh, so this, I mean, this is five, six years ago as I'm starting to make these calls and trying to find people. And there were more, but I only found the three. And so um, I remember Ben Durbin and Tom Desmond were just phenomenally helpful. And, and it was actually Tom that got me to like launch the church with seven people. Because um, I called him and I said, you know, he was talking to me. He's like, well, when we had 15, we just started services. I'm like, well, that sounds crazy. So we should do that. Um, but just kind of talking to those guys, that was a that was a big thing to help prepare. And I just I just got to know other church planters in Michigan because there's, you know, there's pretty similar culture. Yeah, I mean, even because of the auto industry and the influence that the auto industry had all, all throughout, you know, the Detroit, Flint, Saginaw region, I just watched um, other guys that had been working in those areas and, and tried to implement what they were doing. And, and honestly, many of the things that I prepared for, I, I never did well at them, but I just did them. And, and then I figured out that those things didn't work, and then I would try other things. But the whole, the, the whole bit of it was, I'm going to prepare as best I can. My, my assessment team is telling me, you're not really a church planner, but may God be with you. And, and then just trusting that if this thing grows, if this happens, it's by the power of his spirit saving people with the gospel that we're just trying different ways to bring into the community. Very cool. Very cool. I want to, I want to rewind to you saying uh, the church planting residency got, kind of got on your radar. For those who don't know what a church planting residency is or they're not familiar with that terminology, how is that something that you caught wind of and what actually is it? Yeah, so I mean, the way I caught wind of it isn't particularly helpful because it was it was on, on the heels of, of the failure of the revitalization. I got a call from Riverview. Hey, do you want to do this? <laughs> hey, you're not good at this. Right. You're yeah. Come over and hang yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but um, I, I know that at least within Michigan right now, we are trying to make those a little bit more uh, accessible, at least knowing about them for guys that are preparing. Um, but there are a number of churches that are uh, believe in church planting as a means of um, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission that are, are seeking to offer those. those are, I mean, if you hear about a church planting a church, ask them. They're probably going to know somebody that, that knows a residency. But what a residency is, uh, they're uh, typically one to two years. Um, the most successful ones that I've known of are um, uh, closer to one year, um, but one to two years. And um, they are a time of evaluating um, a guy and helping him figure out, like, where, where are my real weaknesses going into the struggle of, of church planting? And it, it is a struggle. It's a, it's a lot of hard work. And so what are the areas of weaknesses? How do we help prepare you for um, in those um, areas of where you are weak, helping to develop you? Uh, what are the areas of your strength that we need to help you learn how to lean into um, and, and then, uh, that's, so developing a guy, uh, over the course of the year. Also, um, s- some residencies that I'm familiar with, uh, help a guy exegete the culture of where he's going. 
so that he understands it better before he gets there, before he buys the house and is in the neighborhood and then realizes, well, I don't know what these people value and and uh, and those types of things. So it's really just a preparatory time to help a guy grow in himself and understand um, uh, his culture. And, and I think a, a good residency is helping a guy um, lean into uh, the foundational strength and power of the gospel for himself and for his location. So, I mean, those are some things that a residency yeah, is doing. very helpful. And as, as you think back at your residency at RIV, I'm going to challenge you here. Can you boil down like the one thing that was most helpful for Joe Swords as a church planter that was a direct result of doing that residency? Yeah, the most helpful thing was um, uh, getting rest for my wife and I so that we could connect. Um, and I think that a pattern of my wife and I connecting started there that has continued over the last five years. And that was by far the most valuable thing that came out of that. Very cool. Very cool. So as I think of uh, who Joe Swords is, and one of the objectives that I have on this podcast is to kind of get guys like you to talk about the thing uh, that they, that they're, that's in their wheelhouse that kind of makes them light up when they're chatting about it. And as I was racking my brain uh, before I sat down with you here and, and put a microphone in front of your face and told you to talk, I thought uh, you're a guy who really understands and recognizes the importance of rigorous theology. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is similar to Paul telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and your doctrine closely. And when you do this, when you persevere in this, you're not only going to save uh, yourself, but others. Others are going to be brought into the fold when you do this. And, yeah. and you're somebody who does this really well. Hmm. And so I, I just want to open up kind of a broad question. What does it look like for, for you as a church planter to watch your life and your doctrine closely? Yeah, so I, I, I would start by saying that I think that life and doctrine for the believer are uh, always intertwined and working together. And so <clears throat> it's, it's not just about having a rigorous theology, which I, I hope that, that I do and that we do, but it's, it's about having a rigorous theology that forms our lives. And so it's always been um, within the, the culture of our church, um, my desire to help people when they hear the word doctrine that they don't think of a book that is thick enough to be used as a doorstop, but that they think of something that um, offers them a sure foundation, um, that uh, those truths which are unaltered by any of life's circumstances, um, those things that we uh, have as um, uh, a means to form the the way that we uh, will interact uh, with people at work based on our uh, anthropology from the scriptures, the ways that we will observe uh, the world around us because of the theology that we have of who God is as creator. I mean, all of these sorts of things are doctrines, but they're forming the way that we see the world. They're, they're giving us the uh, divine lens, so to speak, by which we see the world. And so... Um, we're, you know, we'll, we use, you know, things like, uh, you know, Grudem systematic theology or Eric Erickson's or, or 
Culver's, or you can study through these. But at the end of the day, doctrine and theology comes from the scriptures. And so uh, really, both myself and then, then those who are within the church, I, I want to lead them to the scriptures over and over and over to, to drink deeply from that deep well of scripture in understanding these doctrines and how they form uh, the, the Christian life in a way that leads to uh, a contentment that only comes from Christ, finding joy in him and finding meaning that is outside of ourselves uh, in, in him and that will with, cannot be terminated with our death, mm. uh, but will, will perpetuate throughout eternity as we enjoy him. So it's kind of as I'm thinking through doctrine, those are, that's kind of the way that I'm, I'm thinking through that for people uh, within the exchange church. As you look back on your history as somebody who's grown into a leader in a lot of different spheres of your life, who have been some of those people in your life that has caused you to long for good doctrine? Who has taught you to yeah. love theology and, and and taught you how to find Jesus in deep theology mm. along yeah. the way? So there have been a number of people, but there's, there's one, um, uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Uh, from uh, Southern Seminary. Uh, he wrote uh, the uh, New Testament theology, and it is one of those thick books. It is one of those, and, and I took his New Testament theology class. And I put it on my doorstop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I'm taking his class, and then he, he says, you, you know, the assigned reading, you have to read this whole thing. And I remember at the beginning of class, I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, how am I going to find the time to read all this and everything else? And and then I'm I'm reading through, and I'm I'm beginning to worship in in ways that I hadn't, and and I'm beginning to enjoy who God is. I'm I'm beginning to enjoy what Christ has done for me on the cross. I'm beginning to hope more in the work of the Holy Spirit as I'm reading through this theology, and and it just it went from I've I've always enjoyed learning. But that wasn't just learning. That was finding a just a deep joy in um, in learning about who God is, the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, and and my love for for God just began to deepen through the way that that Doctor Schreiner uh, walked us through that. And so I think I mean, the, the, like I said, there've been many, but that was the most formative for me. Yeah, and I can really relate to that. Part of the reason I, I enrolled in seminary was to be fed in that way, to have guys who are kind of coming in at different angles, mm-hmm. offering these readings that can show you things that you haven't seen before. Yeah. How has that changed now that you're on the ground and you're not in school and you don't have someone assigning a book to read? How How is that still growing in your life? How are you turning to the scriptures or other books to find life in good theology? Yeah, <clears throat> so I would say um, two things that, that stand out. One is um, uh, John Piper uh, has probably often made a comment about um, um, our, our lack of prayer isn't because we don't have enough time, and then he'll reference things like social media and, and this sort of thing. Well, I, I was thinking about this at one point, and I, I just started thinking about that as far as... Um, the uh, my my time spent in in the scriptures, which I'm really right now. I have given up 
a lot of my reading time that has been would, would have been used maybe for uh, theology books or things like that to um, I'm just wrapping it up uh, reading through the Bible in 90 days and I, I had no idea how hard that was going to be um, but that in a shaping of theology has been extraordinary for me um, to take in that much of the word. And so it's not just getting into this, your, the, the verses and, and studying sort of the, the minute details, but seeing this just overwhelming wave of the, of the sovereign hand of God throughout history has been, uh, it has been amazing. Um, and so that's one place that I go uh, and have been going and it's, 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 but that's been interesting watching just how that's even changed my own longings for the word on days where, you know, I'm not reading as much kind of going from this reading, you know, 12 to 20 chapters in a day to like one or two. And it's like, wait, I want more. And so that's just been interesting. The other thing that I've been trying to do is, um, uh, finding well-written, uh, accessible, um, historical theologies. I, I love biography. And, and, and so we have amazing stories of those who have gone before us that have thought carefully about the scriptures, about who God is. And so I try to have those books uh, sitting on my nightstand. And, and so right now I'm, I'm reading uh, Sinclair Ferguson's uh, Some Pastors and Teachers, I think it's called. Uh, and, and he's walking through uh, Calvin and Owen and Murray uh, various doctrines uh, that they have have held to, and it's just such a uh, a settling way for my own mind at night uh, as I'm getting ready for bed to to lay down and and instead of you know watching a show, I, I mean certainly there's some evenings where I'm with my wife watching whatever, but but also having those um, evenings, uh, many evenings, uh, maybe uh, more than not where I'm, as I'm laying down and I'm opening up something, it's not hard to read, it's not complex, but it's still bringing me back to these uh, rich, soul-fulfilling realities of who God is from the scriptures that these other men have seen, where they found satisfaction in, in suffering and hardship and persecution uh, and, um, and then just being encouraged. And so those are just some ways now. Those aren't assigned. I don't have to read the Bible in 90 days. And it won't be 90 days. It's going to be like 120 or something. I don't know. But You slack. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, you know, it's not assigned. But it's something that's like, okay, what can I, how can I do this? And then, then how can I take that? And how can I give that to my brothers and sisters? And, and particularly, you know, my, my young brothers and sisters that are there within the exchange. Now, how can I give them the richness of the joy that I'm... I'm finding in these unassigned. Yeah. I can't uh, imagine reading the Bible in 90 days. That's, that's quite the feat. Uh, I've never even finished the Bible in a year plan. Hmm. Um, what does it look like when you wake up on days where you feel like me, where I can't imagine getting into 70 pages of scripture right now. Yeah. I'd rather watch parks and rec or whatever it might be. Well, I don't know what it is for you, but yeah. what, what, what do you do practically? Yeah. So for me, it's, honestly been an exercise um it, certainly in self-control but in uh faith because for me in the season that we're in right now it's not getting up and saying i want to do these other 
things that would be more fun. It's getting up and saying, you know, what, what are the, you know, what are the counseling appointments? What are the emails? What are the, you know, you know, where am I at with my sermon? It's all of the work related, like it's right there. I, and, and, uh, it's calling for me to get to my desk and get to work. And so it's been saying, I, I think that the long-term, um, feeding of the people of God will be, um, enriched by spending this time in the word. I think that as a, as a man before God, as a husband and as a father, that there will be fruit from this that is more valuable than being highly productive over these 90 days. But what that means is that I am entrusting, in a sense, I am entrusting my work that needs to be done to God as I sit down over here and, and, or, or a lot of times I listen to it. I, I, it's harder for me to sit and read, um, all of that, but to listen to it and, and to, um, to hear it read to me via an, uh, you know, an audio Bible is easier. And so as I'm, as I'm listening, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to trust you with the time that I have, uh, with my work. And so that's been more of an exercise of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I'm not going to have as many hours, because I'm over here reading the Bible. Uh, and so it's not for, I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it's something that's been, um, I, I think, a good thing for, for me, for our, my family, and, and for the church as I've been going through this. Yeah, appreciate that. It's really helpful. You planted the exchange how many years ago? Um, uh, it was about five, about five years ago, five and a half years ago. Yeah. Five and a half years. And uh, for those who listen in who maybe haven't yet planted, why don't you just describe as you look back at, at the arc of the last five and a half years or so, what have been some of the deepest joys in pastoring a, a new church? Yeah. Well, the one that immediately comes to mind is the um, first person who um, believed the gospel um, through the work of church planting. Uh, it was a woman who was planning to get a uh, divorce. She was leaving her husband that day, actually, and um, she had sat down with the the guy that I was uh, planting with at the time, uh, co-planter, and uh, had actually been inquiring about buying a house from him so she could move out uh, from uh, with her husband. And uh, he walked her through the fact that she was seeking joy in and fulfillment in these sort of idols, basically, and um, pointed her to Jesus. She believed the gospel, went home to her husband, and they're still married. So, I mean, that just, that's, that was a big deal. You know, we're a, we're we're a small church, um, and it, it really has been watching people rescued out of either religious lies or just a functional atheism, not, not believing in, I mean, they may say that God exists, but as far as how they live and then coming to know Jesus, the freedom for those that, that have come out of the, um, particularly for us, it's, it's a lot of, um, uh, almost abusive level legalism. 
So then watching the freedom that the gospel has brought to numerous people from that has been an incredible joy. Um, and, and then, you know, for the, for those that just have never been a part of any church, they've never heard the gospel in any sense. They know nothing about the Bible, hearing about Jesus and then believing that's been a great joy. And I think probably, you know, it's been tough. It's been a, a very difficult, uh, road and, seeing learning the new the different ways that when we talk about the grace of God sustaining us all of the varied ways that he has sustained uh, my wife and I it's a real joy I mean there there are there are joys in the grace of God sustaining us that we have experienced that if we had not planted if we had not gone through some of the hardships that we've gone through we would never have known and I would never have known what it was to be sustained in those ways. So I look at that and I, I'm, in retrospect, thankful. I can't say that in the moment I was very thankful, but, but in retrospect, very thankful and counted a joy. And what have been some of those bigger hardships or the obstacles that you've run into in those five and a half years? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would say we, we functionally failed twice. That's tough. I, I don't care who you are. Um, and even going in, like everybody knew it probably wouldn't go and it would be hard. And, but, but then when it actually happens, it's just like, oh, like I, I failed. And so then really having it put to me by the providence of God in those situations, are you really going to find your worth and your value in the success of this? And by his grace coming out saying, no, I'm, I'm not. And I, so and another one, I, I remember, you know, we'd you know, been doing all the right things, whatever those are, along the way. And then we have this one Sunday where the four of us, I mean, we're, we're uh, like six months in, four people show up, my wife and I, and this older couple that I've never seen and they come in and they sit down and they look at me like, like, okay, let's, let's sing now. I'm just like, are you for real? And, <laughs> and so I, and, and I just, in that moment, I think to myself, like, who, you know, are you going to, you, you came to climate plan church. These are the people that God has brought right now. Are you going to minister the gospel to them? Mm-hmm. And there's just something about in, in, in saying like, wow, my, my identity can't in this moment cannot be found in numerical anything. However, I can minister the gospel to these individuals. I don't remember. We were somewhere in the, in the gospel of John and just, you know, I basically asked them like, do you want to go? I'm just going to give you my, here's my sermon. And this is awkward. And, and they said, yes. It's like, okay. So we just walked through the text together, but that sort of thing. And like, that was super tough. That was depressing, like super depressing. But then it was like, wait, why? Well, because you think that your success is based on the number of people that are going to listen to you minister the gospel. But this is who God's brought now. Can you not be thankful for that which he's brought to you in this moment and be faithful with this moment? Well, again, looking back, I can say yes. In the moment, it was very difficult, but but sustaining through that, having that challenged in me, and then reformed in me, 
Um, and then, um, yeah, so I, I think those are, those are some of the ways. So, yeah. And now as you have moved from uh, church planter, practitioner, to um, being a guy who raises up others and your role with X-Ray 9 now as yeah. regional director of, of Michigan, what are some things that you've observed kind of in the current landscape of church planting uh, of young guys who are coming into the field of church planting? What are just some broad generalizations or observations that you're seeing? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely changing as far as, um, who is in the pipeline, so to speak, where maybe, 15 years ago, I think there's a, there's been an article written on this about the changing pipeline of church planners. You had guys that were um, older, they, they had more ministry experience, and they were just waiting for somebody to call them to church planting. Now, it's, it's guys that don't have, there's no ministry experience. It's been all, you know, I mean, some guys, it's literally just saying, I should just plant a church, and there's been sort of no development. The guys that are being developed, something that's been so encouraging to me um, in the process of assessments, there have been times where guys have been told that they need to wait. And I, I think that's maybe become a little bit more common. Um, I know not, it, it actually it has been. It's become a little bit more common for just to say, just wait maybe a year. What's been super encouraging is the number of guys that have responded to that with Okay. No, no, obviously not everybody, but there's a, there's a teachable spirit. And, and this is, you know, from Proverbs, we know that, that one of the most um, noted marks of the wise man is the teachable spirit, the one who will listen. And it's just, it's incredibly encouraging to, um, to see guys that, that are being raised up or, or, or have been in that process being told wait when you don't want to hear wait responding with okay and i'm willing to learn what i need to learn in order to do this and that i think is clearly a work of the spirit um, among these younger guys so that's been super encouraging to see um i think at the same time there have there's also uh, a little bit of a um entitled sometimes mentality um, where it's, if, if you don't think I'm ready to plant a church, then you don't really know me. And there've been an increasing number in that area. And so I think that's a little bit, um, you know, we can see from, from studies of, of, you know, generational studies that that's more common among, um, the, you know, my age and a little bit younger to think, you know, well, I'm, I am a special person. And, and so if you don't think I am, it's, it's only because you don't know me. It has nothing to do with me. We call us uh, millennial snowflakes where I'm from. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. You said it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so we, you know, you see some of that within the church planning uh, process of, of raising guys up. Um, so uh, one of the things that we're seeing uh, that going back to those things that are encouraging um, is a uh, shepherd's heart for the people among young guys. Uh, this is something we, we, within the exchange that we're seeing with our young guys. They they want to care 
for other people. And, and I don't mean just, you know, sort of serve in a public way, but actually do some of the hard, you know, sit and grieve and, and, and sit there in the midst of maybe a counseling situation where I don't have all the answers, but I still love you. And I want to be, I want to be present, bodily present with you in this. That's incredibly encouraging to me. It's not all about just like, I'm going to go plant a church to be something. It's, I'm going to, I want to, I want to shepherd people. I want to shepherd God's people and shepherd the flock that is among you mentality. So that's, that's also just incredibly encouraging to me with, within the, the, many of the younger guys that I'm working with. Very cool to hear. And, and one more question just to kind of wrap things up a little bit more personal, but how has Jesus been the answer to you lately for whatever it is that you're facing as pastor, husband, or dad, how has Jesus been the hope? Yeah. So, um, actually, um, tonight at our, at our devotion time, I'm going to talk about this just a little bit with, uh, there, there's something that uh, I don't know. I don't remember where this came from, but some, whether it was Acts 29 or something, it was influential, whatever it was, uh, talk was given on how, um, if, if things, um, in the planter's home, you know, marriage is, is well, the, you know, with the kids, things are well, then you can sort of face anything. Well, I think over the last few years, that's kind of turned into from, it did for me. And, and I think for, for other planters and pastors turned into an expectation on our wives to, to know what we need to keep the house and the family in a certain way so that things are safe and secure for us to come home to so that we can face anything out there. And I think for me, um, over the last, particularly the last year, there has been a substantial shift that has taken place through admittedly some hard conversations with my wife where she has, um, thankfully gently, but, but very clearly communicated some ways that, um, uh, expectations on our home that I was placing on her that only Jesus can fulfill of being my refuge and my, my safety. Um, and, and so there's been a, um, a turning away from those types of expectations on her, uh, and, and moving in the direction of not even for myself knowing what is best, knowing what to do next, these, but finding a settledness in being known by Jesus, that he intimately knows what I need, when I need it, how it needs to work itself out. And so that, I mean, that has been transforming um, my marriage. That has been uh, transforming the way that I um, am even engaging in in some of the just some of the continued hardships of, of you know pastoring a uh, small church in a small town of uh, just resting in the I'm I am known by him um, and and so Jesus becoming more and more apparent to me he, he already is but more and more apparent to me that he is far more than enough Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. 
We want to give a special thanks and shout out to Hope Hymns. These guys are incredible. It's what you're hearing right now in your speakers and at the beginning of the episode. They they take old, old hymns and they slap some new melodies on them and make them sound fantastic. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your music. So please avail yourself of that opportunity. Hey, we've been loving hearing from you guys. Simply search the Midwest Church Planting Project on Twitter or Instagram, and you can drop us all your questions, your comments, and your snide remarks. We love it all. Thanks again for listening to the Midwest Church Planting Project. We'll see you back here the week after next. Name Christ, oh.